Hi guys, it's Adam from Samson's Hair Care here. I wanted to let you know that when you use the code BLUEGRASS on our website, samsonshaircare.com, BLUEGRASS will save you 10% and go to support this wonderful podcast, The Walls of Time, sharing the history and stories of bluegrass. Welcome to Walls of Time, field interviews with the best in bluegrass. Fiddle master Michael Cleveland is considered one of today's greatest bluegrass artists. Here in part two of Daniel Mullen's interview with Michael, they talk about his journey in bluegrass. From his first professional performances to fronting his own Grammy award-winning band, Michael Cleveland and Flamekeeper. Recorded backstage during rehearsal for the 2019 IBMA Awards show in Raleigh, North Carolina, hear the conclusion of this two-part episode with fiddling legend Michael Cleveland. What was your first fiddle playing job on the national scene in bluegrass? Um, so I guess the first real gig that I had uh, was with Dale Ann Bradley. Mm-hmm. And How did that come about? Well, it, it was weird. Um, he, uh, I was uh, I was kind of looking around. Uh, I was a junior senior in high school. You know, I was thinking. I'm either going to go to college, some college that has a good bluegrass program, so that pretty much narrowed it down to two. And so I looked at South Plains, and I looked at ETSU, and I was either going to do that, but if I could get a a gig and and go play out, that's really what I wanted to do. And so I made some calls, and, you know, like things didn't pan out, and and I kind of, um it was like well you know this is not working out so well so i just kind of uh didn't think about it for a while and it's weird as soon as i stopped looking like uh dale ann uh her uh her bass player vicky simmons called me and and she is also legally blind uh, really she yeah she's has some sight uh like a lot more than I do, but yeah, she's legally blind as well. So, uh, Danny Richardson had recommended me to them, and uh, so so that's that was the first gig I ever had, and I will I'll never never forget being able to do that. It was a good opportunity for me because I at that point. I was just, you know, I was, every song I played, I threw every lick I knew in it, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I just played constantly. <laughs> just as much as I could throw in it, man, I, I was playing, uh, wearing people out, you know. <laughs> so, so finally, you know, uh, I forget, I think it might have been Danny, you know, it's, heard us play on the opry one and she gave me some good advice she was like you can't play at all yeah it's like you you sound great you know but you gotta let these other people play back up you know or you gotta but so that was my first i played with dale Ann for about six months and then what, uh, what were some other things you learned being oh being well, able to play in a band unit you know consistently for the first time what were some other things you learned 
that you're not going to learn in jam session or, or playing around the house? Well, the band broke down on the second day out. Oh, uh, really? So I learned that pretty quick. <laughs> but now, really, what I uh, the the best thing for me at the time was that I got to learn, like I had to learn, you know, like the breaks like they were on the record, you know. And so I, I if Randy Howard played. On the record, you know, I had to learn Randy Howard's fiddle break. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, uh, and and it seems to be a little different today, but it's like if if you were trying out for a gig, you know, you, you, learn, you learn the material and you learn it note for note, you know. And, I mean, that's kind of always how I approached it. And then, you know, they, you know, it's like if they figured out that you actually could learn it you know then then you could add your own things to it or, or whatever but so i i was uh i was you know having to learn all these fiddle breaks and it it was it was great it was really a challenge for me and then also just figuring out where and where not to play which is still something i'm trying to figure that out but um uh I guess just being being on the road with you know four or five other people, you know, it's it's like a, it's like everybody says, you know, it's like a family. It's it's actually closer than family, I think. And uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. I probably learned to drink then too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Probably. After being with Dale Ann for, you said, about six months, is that when you went to work for Rhonda Vincent? Yeah, yeah, Rhonda, uh, uh, there was a guy that was playing banjo with her, uh, Steve Sutton, yeah. who, uh, he and I jammed uh, at Merlefest, uh, I think I was still in high school, and, and he actually, uh, we really hit it off, and so he he was from north he was here in north carolina around uh waynesville and and like we hit it off me and him and brian we we, we jammed and he's like man i want to do some more playing with you all uh, if you ever book some shows or, or whatever i'll come to indiana and play with you guys and i just couldn't believe it you know that somebody that good would want to play with us and, and i mean he did you know he flew he flew over and, and played the little town festival, and and I think we, I think we might have each made fifty bucks a piece, you know, <laughs> and so like he he, uh, and then he had us, you know, over to uh, uh, his folks' house in North Carolina, and, and we played uh, we we played some local things around his area, and and uh, Steve's mom Bonnie cooked enough food you. You would have thought that I, I don't I don't know it was just so much food <laughs> I couldn't believe it it's like who else you got coming over here yeah <laughs> but um so he uh he and started Steve pro- Steve was one of he was such a great banjo player we lost yes. him too soon yeah but he was one of my favorites to, especially to watch on stage yeah I yeah. mean he was. Man, anytime that guy was playing music, it was just, 
it was infectious, like how happy he would be. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, you could not just stand there and play yeah. when, when he was around. Because, I mean, it's not that, that he would say anything, but, I mean, he was so into it every time. I mean, and it was just, it was like the first time. You know, it's like, all right, let's wear it out, you know. And so, uh, and I always love that about him, man. It's just, you know, that being that excited about music, I, I think that really struck a, a chord with me because, you know, it's kind of kind of like I was, yeah. you know, and, and still am. But, um, and so he recommended me to, to Rhonda's band. And so I started playing with her. I think I played with her for about a year and a half. Really? And that was a really good learning experience just to see, like, well, I learned a lot about music in that band. I got to play with, well, Steve, and um, I got to play with uh, Audie Blaylock tom adams and i i think i learned more about music or at least bluegrass music from those two guys uh then i i i really learned a lot and and had fun playing with with them and to see how Rhonda, like i mean she she could read an audience yeah she, she knows how to put on a show yes Look, she does yeah I mean, it doesn't matter what the set list says. You know, if there are people yawning out there, there's going to be a fiddle tune or, or a fast banjo tune or, or whatever. And then, you know, the next minute she's got them in the palm of her hand, you know, singing a slow ballad or, or whatever, you know. It's just, and I, I think, you know, just learning that, um, yeah, yes, it is about the music, but it's also about, you know, you have to put on a show, and you have to engage the audience, and, you know, you just can't play these songs in random order, you know, you have to put them, you know, like, to, to where, it's like picking out a sequence for a CD or something, yeah. like, you, you don't want to play two fast songs in a row, or two slow songs in a row, and or four in the same key, or, right, yeah. Three sad love songs back to back to back. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, they're all sad in bluegrass, <laughs> man. You know. And at the time you worked for Rhonda, that's when her return to bluegrass was in full swing. Yeah. She had uh, was. I mean, she's still hitting it. She hasn't. She's never slowed down. But oh, no. she was uh, already crowned the new queen of bluegrass by the what, Wall Street Journal or New York well, Times. See, or something. that was yeah. We were kind of right. Uh, at the beginning of all that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I remember that. It seems like it was, uh, seemed like we might have played the bottom line. There used to be a club in New York called the bottom line. Yeah. And it seems like somebody from the Wall Street Journal might have been there. Yeah. And that's where they, she got that title. I, I know it was some show that we played. Um, because I remember talking about it after, and then, uh, and then it's right. It was before she got the Martha White deal, and you know I remember us talking in the bus, uh, and we had. It seemed like we had just jammed with Kenny Ingram. Kenny Ingram was kind of he. He wasn't playing with anybody, but we heard that 
that Kenny Ingram would go to the station and jam every once in a while. So we were in town on a Sunday, so we just went over there. We started picking with him and, of course, playing a bunch of flat and scrug stuff. And and then we're, we're in the bus, you know, and I remember, I don't know who actually asked the question or whatever, but it's like, man, I wonder if Martha White ever does any kind of sponsorship deals anymore. And... Like, from, from that point on, you know, and, and she got that uh, Martha White deal, uh, I think around 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right, right, uh, not too long before I left. Yeah. And uh, she's had that deal for many, many years. Well, what were some other things you learned from Rhonda Vincent about being an entertainer and being a band leader? Um. Well, I, I guess mainly uh, just her her business sense about it all, which was a, a totally new thing for me. Thinking business was the farthest thing from your mind oh, when yeah, you're jamming man. at fiddle contests every yeah. week, right? Yeah, I just wanted to go pick. You know, that's <laughs> all I cared about. But, you know, to, to actually see that, yeah, there's... There's paperwork that has to be filled out, and yeah, there's there's all this stuff that uh, that yeah, you wouldn't think playing bluegrass music be that involved, but but it really is. And still, I mean, if it wasn't for, uh, I've had a lot of help, and I can't imagine trying to do it all. Like you, you know, you got you got to book dates and and not only do you have to book dates but you have to promote the dates and now you know if you don't have a presence online then you're you're done so like you you have to to be on facebook and instagram and and you have to have a website and and there's so many other things that uh you know as far as any one of those jobs you know booking booking a band uh, or you know, doing the publicity, the PR end of everything, that those are those are all twenty four seven jobs. Just one of them, and uh, and so I like my my dad's helped me a lot through the years, you know, with the books and uh, logistics things like that. And then uh, Jim Rose, our booking agent, and Kimberly Williams is our. Uh, uh, PR person and like I I probably still don't know half of what what all they do but it's uh, it's amazing to me and and I I know for a fact it's it's not something that that uh, you could do on your own but having said that Rhonda Vincent could do it I mean she 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 understood all that and I mean, she she was constantly, I mean, constantly thinking and you know on the phone and talking to people and trying to make things happen. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's just stuff like that 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 was uh, it just showed me that there was there was a a lot more than than just you know, the 45 minutes you're on stage. And there's so much that goes into it leading up to that, yeah. you know, that, that people 
just don't realize, but it has to be done, you know. It's probably hard to believe for you that it's, what, been almost 20 years since it you really started has. Flamekeeper. Well, uh, I started Flamekeeper in 2006. 2006, okay. I was a little off then. 2006, yeah. 2007. So, I think we so it's like, almost almost 15, getting almost, getting close to yeah. it at least. Yeah. But I've been I've been touring for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I graduated high school in 99, and I man, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I can't believe that it still blows my mind that it's been that long. Well, and uh, you, you mentioned your team. How important is it for young people that want to make this go from this being a hobby to a profession? How important is it for them to know that to be a successful artist, you have to have a team around you? Yeah, you either have to have a team. Uh, well, I I say you have to have one. I mean, I know I know there are people who who can do it and. And they, they do pretty well at it. But, man, there's just so much. Uh, there's so much to do that, you know, I, I it kind of it seems like it would keep you from concentrating on, you know, on the music. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's very important. Because, uh, you know, if you think about it this way, if you're booking yourself... You know, there's nothing between you and whoever's hiring you, or, or, you know, so like if you, if you decide, well, we need more money, you know, or, or we we need to, you know, whatever, and and you know, if the agent, the agent goes to the uh, promoter and and talks, you know, then they develop a relationship. And you can still maintain your relationship with yeah with them having that as an artist yeah having that advocate yeah work as a middleman has got to be very valuable right and you know there's there's uh, that's a big thing in itself and and then you know a lot of these dates you know I wouldn't know how to advance or or, or to, to set up to try and find local stations or newspapers or. Yeah. Or whatever, you know. I mean, I I would have no clue. Um, and there's just so much, especially now, you know, uh, that that goes into it all. That that you you about have to have people helping you with it. Yeah. Women love men who care about their hair, and nothing makes a man's hair look better than Samson's hair care. Hi, I'm Santana Bell, and let me tell you, Daniel Mullins's hair was a mess before he started using Samson's. Trust me, I'm his girlfriend, but Samson's has made a world of difference. It holds all day. Even after a day of riding roller coasters, his hair still looked great. I couldn't believe it. But even with the all-day hold, I could still easily run my fingers through his hair without it feeling stiff or greasy. But the best part is the smell. It's not over powering, but it gives off a distinctive, pleasant aroma that lasts all day. Honestly, a man could stop wearing cologne as long as he wore Samson's. It smells that good. Head to samsonshaircare.com to get some hair pomade for the man in your life. Neither of you will be disappointed. Use code bluegrass at checkout to save 10%. That's samsonshaircare.com, code bluegrass to receive 10% off. samsonshaircare.com, code bluegrass. You mentioned it's you've been touring for for two decades. 
And what was it? Just this year or last year, you were one of the youngest people ever inducted into the National Fiddler's Hall of Fame, if I'm correct, right? I guess it's good to say I'm still young. Yeah. What did that honor mean for you, having grown up absolutely loving fiddle music since since you were three or four years old? Yeah, I totally. uh, it It was an honor, and it was especially an honor because Benny Martin and Bobby Hicks got inducted the same day. Oh, wow. That so, had to be a real treat. Yeah. And and so to be uh to be there and be inducted at, at the same time uh was really cool. And that Fiddler's Hall of Fame, you know, I've watched videos uh I remember coming home one day and my dad had found this video of the fiddlers from the time jumpers uh getting inducted in the Fiddler's Hall of Fame and I I watched that, man, and I, I, just, I had never heard, I mean, I guess I thought about it or wondered, you know, I wonder if there's a Fiddler's Hall of Fame, but sure enough, you know, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's been going that long, like, I, I think maybe for the last eight, ten years or so, something like that, but it was, it was really an honor. For people to say that, you know... You're one. You're the most awarded fiddler of your generation. You're one of the most revered and respected fiddlers of your generation. What does that mean to you? Um, it's still, it's still pretty hard to believe. You know, when you when you compare, or there, there's, you know, like what's already been done as as, as far as fiddle playing goes. I mean, there are people who, I mean. You know, you, you name any of the old guys, you know, like like Benny Martin or Kenny Baker or Bobby Hicks, they all had their own sound, but they were all coming up with these things that that had never been done. Uh, you know, really technical, complicated stuff. And so, like for me to be considered, you know, to to be nominated or considered for any of that uh is really humbling especially when you i mean man there's so many good young players out here now and uh just you you can turn on face you you can go on youtube or facebook or whatever and watch watch videos of these people and some of them you've never heard of and they're just killing it and uh and that that's really cool. But I'm uh, I'm happy to be nominated. I'm happy to be on the list. I, it's a real honor for me to to just be in the middle of it. What does bluegrass music mean to you personally, on a personal level? Um. Well, bluegrass, and I have to say, music you know is everything to me. I mean, when I when I go home and you know I like time off as well as anybody, but I'm I'm always playing. I'm I'm either uh, I'm either playing with some you know like jamming with with some local friends of mine, or uh, what I've been doing here lately is I I got set up to record tracks from home. So I've had a bunch of people send me stuff 
Uh, so I'm doing a lot of that, and uh, I uh, I've taught Skype lessons for for quite a few years, and uh, you know, so just uh, getting to do all that. Pretty cool. I know that you just love. You, you love to play. I've seen it. There's been weekends where, where maybe Flame Keepers had an off weekend. And, yep. And you'll just hop on the bus with the Wildwood yeah. Valley boys or the Poe Ramlin boys or whoever yep. and just go out and play for the weekend just because sure. you love it that much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I still would. You know, I, I I love doing stuff like that. And I like playing with with different bands, different people, you know. It's just, it's, uh, it's really fun. Did you ever, after... Uh, after you had to make the choice between classical violin and bluegrass fiddle, after uh, you know you toured the world and got all these awards, did you ever go back to Miss Nolan and say, "We, I can make it as a bluegrass fiddler"? Well, uh, yeah, I think she's seen uh, some stuff that we played in the area. Uh, like uh, there was one point where uh, they actually hired Rhonda Vincent to play at my school at oh really this, in the in the assembly hall oh wow like where uh and man it was uh it was pretty cool it really? was really uh because you know a lot of, not a lot of people uh were too sure about it they they really weren't and and rightfully so you know it's like you're uh you know they would We'd have these uh, IEP meetings or whatever, you know, and so they, and they, they would say, you know, you need to get something to fall back on, and, and you need to have something that you can do aside from music because it's just, and and they're right, you know, it's uh and uh you know, there's so many people out here that are trying. You know, we're all trying to do the same thing, you know, so, uh, but yeah, they, they, they pretty much told me you need to have something to fall back on. And so, uh, there, there were a couple of teachers that really, when I was a junior, senior in high school, they finally, they, they, they figured out, oh, well, he's playing out of town. He's playing, you know, these bluegrass festivals. Uh, I go out and play a date every once in a while with Jeff White or uh, somebody like that, and like, and then there was a deal that me and my buddy Brian we we got to go to uh, Washington D.C. and play for Congress. Oh, what really? Which basically it sounds. Which don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not downplaying it at all. It was really cool experience, but. Basically, what we did is there was a meeting, uh, and somehow by the this organization called Very Special Arts, which I had won a competition for. But basically, what we did is play when everybody was walking in, and then play when everybody was walking out. <laughs> but still, that's still really cool. Oh, uh, how it, old it, were you? I. I was probably 17, 18, um, and so... What did you play? Did you go to no, play Katie Hill or Sally Gooden for him? I don't know what we played. <laughs> I, I don't really think we play a whole... Like, 
it was probably just like one song or, yeah. or something but um so i must have been like 16 because i was i was still in high school and at that point i think you know a couple of them started to realize you know yeah that he might actually be able to do it you know and so but when we played there with Rhonda, man, you know, there were, there were a few of them there that basically, you know, said, you will never be able to do this. And, you know, there's no way. Uh, and so to roll in, to roll into school in this big bus and get out <laughs> and go put on a killer show, you know, with all these great musicians, like, yeah, that felt pretty good. But... Uh, like just uh seeing a lot of the teachers that that i had uh and, and all that but wow Do you ever feel like the hustle and bustle of life keeps you from accomplishing your goals and staying on track? Have you ever felt exhausted at the end of the day, but yet feel like you've accomplished nothing? Help focus on your goals and stay on track with a self-journal from Best Self Co. Whether you're starting your own business, a college student, or you're just feeling overwhelmed with day-to-day life, the self-journal is packed with tools to help you get more done. With features including daily planning, a 13-week roadmap for your goals, inspirational quotes, daily and weekly habit tracking, and a place to record morning and evening gratitude. Best Self Co. offers a line of productivity tools to help you accomplish more. Check out all of their products at bestself.co. Use code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off of your first purchase. That's bestself.co, code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off your first purchase. You said that, you know, teachers that said you couldn't couldn't do it was it just because music was is such a difficult profession or i think most or was I, it something else i i think i think a lot of the teachers you know all they knew was you know classical and so you know they didn't really understand you know in about anything else that you could make a living playing bluegrass right fiddle. yeah and so yeah you know there there was you know this couple of teachers there was this one teacher you know there as well tracy you know she's a great classical violinist you know she's gonna be you know she's gonna play you know in front of orchestras you know you're not gonna do anything like that and you know so and and i don't think any of them were really trying to be mean about it i think that's actually what they what they thought and and it's basically you know classical is what they knew what they understood so that was really cool and you know it it kind of took a while for them to uh, see and i and i think you know there's a lot of people that don't realize you know just because it's bluegrass music there's many different things or you know bands or types of bluegrass music that you can listen to you yeah know? So I'm sure they were pretty shocked to see not only you roll up in a big bus, but you guys get on stage in suits and ties, yep. Rhonda in her big ball gown. Oh yeah, and that that had to really undo a lot of yeah I think negative did. stereotypes that they had about bluegrass. Yep, and I I was I was really glad you know because uh, and and now you know there's a few more. Uh, people that that i used to go to school with 
that are interested in it. That's and, awesome. Yeah, you know. You so. said that, that one of the biggest things the school taught you that you learned when you got older was that they taught you that being visually impaired couldn't keep you from doing anything that you wanted to do. Right. Um, for for people that, that may have um, some type of impairment that maybe haven't been taught that lesson, what message would you have for them? Well, I, I think just to try and be around... Uh, just to, to, to be around, like, if you're going to play music, you need to be around musicians and a bunch of them, you know. And I, and I do think that, and, and I'm thankful that I went to a, you know, to a school for the blind because if I, uh, I'm, like, most kids, you know, they, they, they have an option to, to either go to, you know, state school for the blind, or they could go to the local public school. But the problem with that is, like, if you go to public school, you're going to have maybe a teacher that comes, works for you, or works with you maybe once a week. And, you know, you'll probably be the only blind person there, you know. And so to, to be around, to be around people, you know, kids who were visually impaired teachers who were like you know they're great teachers and you know like living living on their own totally independent you know to to see things like that uh and to to be around people like that i think did more than uh than anything Mm -hmm. so to have that at school and then the support system you had at home and you know to to be around other pickers that they didn't really care whether you had it, uh, were you visually impaired or not. They just, right. <laughs> they treat you the same as everybody else. Uh, well, that, that had to be pretty thing. awesome. That's the cool thing about music is like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, when it, when you, when it comes right down to it, you know, if you can play and, and you hit it off with somebody, you know, musically, you know, you're, you're both musicians, you know, he's like to play music. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Cause when you, when you listen to a record, no one can tell whether it's male or female, whether they got blue hair or, yep. or, or, or anything else about them. It's yep. the music is, they say it's a universal language and that's a, that's very true. Yeah, it really is. Thank you so much, Michael. Oh man, thanks for I appreciate for having it. Me. That was a it was a thrill for me. Shoot, same here, man. Hi guys, Adam from Samson's Hair Care here. I wanted to let you know about a new product we've released called Texture Powder. You just sprinkle it in, work it into your roots, and it provides you with volume and hold and texture while leaving your hair looking natural. Give it a shot. Use the code BLUEGRASS on our website to save 10% off your total. Continuing our conversation with the Grammy Award-winning bluegrass fiddler Michael Cleveland on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast, Michael's been a staple of the bluegrass music scene for the past two decades, and it all started when he got his job with Dale Ann Bradley. That's right. He kind of goes through some of the groups that he played with, Dale Ann Bradley, Rhonda Vincent, 
creating his own band that he's had now for, I guess, about 15 years, I think. And uh, yeah, so good to hear about uh, all of Michael's pedigrees and different folks he's played with over the years. Dale Ann, Rhonda Vincent really touched me to hear him talk about the great Steve Sutton. Steve Sutton was uh, a Western North Carolina banjo player from over here in Waynesville, which is near where I am over in Asheville, North Carolina in the mountains. And uh, known Steve for many years. Uh, you mentioned uh, he was lost too soon. What a fantastic banjo man, banjo player and a friend and brother in our community. And, and I know he was quite a mentor to Michael. In fact, uh, Steve would tell me stories about uh, those two hanging out and having a great time. And uh, another great uh, story that Michael talks about going back and playing with uh, Rhonda Vincent at, in the auditorium at the school that uh, he was first educated in that warned him against trying to carve out a career playing bluegrass music. I think that was uh, sort of some sweet uh, satisfaction for Michael being able to get there and perform for some of those folks who uh, warned him against it. But uh, as we now know, Michael's had such a great career, uh, as you mentioned before, one of the most awarded in bluegrass and uh, so glad to hear the rest of his journey in this uh, second episode. I can still remember the first time I saw Michael is when he was playing with Rhonda Vincent and the Rage, and it absolutely blew me away. Uh, I've, I've told this story before. I, I went to a Cedarville University, a Baptist college where I, I graduated. It's in the town where I grew up. And in a class I was taking, we had to look at, at an aspect of culture, tie it in spiritually with some sort of spiritual thread. And I looked at music in different cultures, and, and one way that I tied it in spiritually was talking about how listening to Michael Cleveland play the fiddle is a spiritual experience. And if you've ever seen him live, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's truly got a gift that uh, has blessed us uh, for decades and uh, will bless us for decades to come. So be sure to check out Michael Cleveland uh, Spotify playlist that Ty has put together in conjunction uh, with this two-part episode. So grateful for Michael to taking the time to sit down with me and join us on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Be sure to support the podcast by going to wallsoftimepodcast.com. You can buy one of our official Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast t-shirts to show your support. And be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you enjoy podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Yeah, and check us out, of course, on social media, Walls of Time podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Walls of Time Pod on Twitter. Give us a review, leave us a message, say howdy to us, and uh, we've got some great stuff coming up as we continue with the season. Next week, we've got our friend, one of the Bluegrass Mamas out there, as she has been referred to, Mrs. Andrea Roberts, wife of Danny Roberts of the Grascals, and a great musician, a great promoter, a fantastic manager, and an agent in her own right. She has really made a career uh, in this music, and I jokingly call her Bluegrass Mom because she has one of those uh, houses over there and uh, just outside of Nashville where um, lots of uh, young musicians, including our friends Flat Lonesome, have stayed and worked on being a band together, and lots of folks have been uh, in and out of uh, Danny and Andrea's home over there. They are great uh, mentors to a lot of young folks in the industry and just great folks in general and big good friends of mine here over working at the mountain home label with uh, the Graskels and of course with Andrea as well. And really looking forward to everybody hearing this interview you did with her. Andrea has been a huge mentor to me in this business. Of course, she's been one of the top booking agents and managers in bluegrass for about the past 20 years. But before that, she was a member of a really important band in the eighties and nineties called Petticoat Junction, 
one of uh, the first uh, handful of all-female bluegrass bands. She talks about her performing career with Petticoat Junction, her love of bluegrass music, and uh, some of the amazing opportunities she's had both on stage and off in this business. It's a ton of fun. Uh, we recorded it in Lexington, Kentucky in February of 2020 at Bluegrass in the Bluegrass. So be sure to stay tuned, listen and subscribe. Join us next time on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast with special guest Andrea Roberts. Thanks for listening. Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast is produced by Ty Gilpin and Daniel Mullins, edited by Daniel Mullins, and is a production of Blue Poncho Media. Visit wallsoftimepodcast.com for more information.